This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is episode 16. I'm Canyon Clark here with Nate Burgess and Scott Clark. Tonight we're going to be talking about some predator hunting and actually a little bit of hog hunting. If some of you guys out a little west, southwest, or in the south got some hogs out, talking a little bit about that. And then we'll go into that'll be kind of a short segment. And then we'll talk about the meat that I wanted to get into of this podcast, which will be still hunting. Um, just something different to try this time of year. Um, we were just talking a little bit ago. It's hard to really mess anything up at this point. So uh, if you need a reason to get out there, maybe you're burnt out sitting in a stand, you want to try something else, still hunting can be a good option. Um, if nothing else, just sharpen your skills at it, you know. So we'll talk about all that stuff uh, first before we get started since we are still in season. Um, I pulled a camera the other day and relatively no pictures. Um, it was on a brassica plot. But I'm still not sure there's not something fishy going on with the neighbors. So I'm not going to rely on that camera too much. I got a cell camera that I'm going to put up there now. So we'll see about that. But anyway, um, I got really nothing. Haven't been in the woods in a while still uh, with work and all that. So Nate, uh, have your cameras been showing anything at all? Minimal activity. Uh, and then driving around in the evenings. Of course, it's been pretty cool. Uh, getting real cold right now. Um uh, feeding patterns, does are out in the middle of the field an hour and a half, two hours before dark, you know, mm-hmm. uh, while it's still warm. They're out there in the very middle, probably where they've not made it too too much in the daylight, you know, trying to find whatever's left. Right. And I know it hasn't been crazy busy at the shop, but um, any deer worth noting at all? No, no, just trickling in right now. Uh, mostly, I think still guys are still cleaning up tags. Uh, maybe, Maybe a little bit of hunting going on just to get out there and hunt mm-hmm. uh but that that's been about it a couple a few bucks uh, scrub bucks you know uh i don't want to say call bucks necessarily but i think mostly just tag cleaning right now mm-hmm. i have heard so depending on where you're at what kind of food you got um buddy of ours that we've talked about a couple times he did he sent me a message wednesday um he said they got some big deer rolling in in the last couple days into the food plots um he said Yesterday, so Tuesday, there were 16 different bucks in the plot. Um, he said they're really starting to pile in, mostly young bucks, but he said there were four or five mature bucks also. Uh, he says they were hitting the beans pretty hard, and he had two acres of greens that were pretty much gone, but he still got plenty of beans. So if you've got some standing beans, maybe key in on those right now. Uh, if your green plots are gone, like mine, like that one I got the camera on and the other small one there, they're just decimated. They're starting to eat the actual radishes. You know, the roots of everything, they're starting to pick those up and chew on them. The leaves are pretty much all gone. Um, there's still some winter rye and stuff in there that they're chewing on. But if you got beans, maybe that sounds like it could be the place to be right now. So that was some, I guess, a little bit of a field report. Obviously not a lot going on. Sounds like, though, if you're in the right spot, maybe they're starting to pile in a little bit. And like you said, they're starting to have those does coming out feeding during the daylight. So. The earlier the does feed, generally the earlier you'll see the bucks feeding too, especially we got this really cold weather come through right now. So that may be enough to get them up. If you're willing to brave it, like we talked about a few weeks ago, Yeah, might give you an opportunity at one, maybe moving earlier. Yep. I'd say the higher quality your food is right now exponentially would increase your odds for success. Uh, no yeah. question. No yep. question. That's absolutely the key this time of year. So with that we'll jump into this article that i want to talk about on the night hunting with the predators and uh, the feral hogs so what brought this article about actually um alabama recently passed legislation that allows night hunting of coyotes and feral hogs and like we were saying before we got on it's hard for me to believe that alabama of all places didn't have that legal anyway um kansas also just recently passed this last year the night hunting with coyotes with the aid of night vision and thermal optics. So a couple more states jumping on board with that. Obviously us here in Illinois, we can hunt coyotes at night. We don't have the issue with hogs yet. I know there's like uh, maybe a couple pockets 
around southern Illinois that I've heard about, but it's not a huge issue like it is in a lot of other states, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, all, Louisiana, all the southern states. Is it still on the books in Illinois where it's illegal to shoot a wild hog? I'm not sure. <clears throat> I know when it first came out, I remember that they had made it illegal to shoot a hog, mm-hmm. uh, specifically so uh, the Department of Fish and Game could go in and kill them themselves uh, and keep anyone from trying to make any money on outfitting them. Right. Right. Uh, keep it not profitable so there's no reason to have the hogs right you know uh was what i had always heard that's the reason it was in the books Mm -hmm. and when did we first get hogs around here just a a tiny bit 15 yeah 15 maybe there was a there was like a dozen or 15 of them up at forbes Mm -hmm. um, that i was aware of okay so here here i googled this real quick it says no licenses required to kill a wild hog in illinois Mm. you must have permission of the landowner and be able to tell the difference between domestic animals and wild animals. <laughs> that that could be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also no season or bag limit. A basic hunting license is required for killing them on public land. Huh. So it sounds like with so this. So you can't hop across your neighbor's fence right. and, and kill like the hell out of a bacon hog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it when, sound, when sounds that, like. When that first, when they first started seeing them, I'm just sure that they made it illegal at that time mm-hmm. uh to kill them because they didn't want they didn't want outfitters they, they didn't want anybody to have any reason to have them around yeah sounds like maybe since then there's been enough of them pop up that they've just they've changed that legislation yeah to where well, you can and kill them as far as i know the group at forbes they got them eradicated pretty quickly yeah thankfully which they, is good because yeah, it doesn't take will, them long they will decimate yeah property we've seen that in oklahoma no i yep. mean yeah you go out there and plant that stuff, and then the next thing you go out there and they're just, they've just rooted it up like a... Yeah. It looks like you've gone through there with a chisel plow or something. <laughs> I mean, it's wild. Man. Uh, and the guys around here don't think about it because we don't see it much. But yeah. if you go anywhere to where you hunt them or you go out there where you see it, man, it's it's hard to imagine how much damage a group of those hogs can actually do. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. It looks like you went through there and worked the ground with some kind of implement. Man. Um, it's pretty wild how much damage they can do. So I don't want them around here either. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, I think if you see one, like you said, as long as you can, <laughs> as, long, as long as you know it's a feral hog, kill the thing. Yep. Well, you don't need any of that. No. So anyway, uh, Alabama just made that legal to hunt them at night, evidently. So, but like I said, here in Illinois, we can hunt coyotes at night all the time. You can pretty much shoot them with whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, I do know the 24-hour period is seasonal. Yes. The rest of the year, it's sun up to sunset, just like anything yes. else. But I believe it's somewhere in November it comes in, and it goes out somewhere in March, maybe the end of March. I think um, it really closely follows coon season. Mm-hmm. I uh, think you're right. Fur bear season. Yep. So we have that option, uh, and that's when kind of the coyotes come in, heat and all that anyway. Yeah. So we have that option to do that. I'm not sure on the Missouri, Kentucky, Indiana. I'd have to look those up. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't hunt them over there, so. Yeah. I don't know that off the top of my hand, head, but... It isn't... No. Are you looking, Scott? I'm trying to. I think okay. it's November 10th through February 15th. February? For night hunting? For 24-hour yeah. 24-hour. Yeah, I yeah. think. With aid of whatever you want. Yeah. And I mean, they, there is no regulation, as far as I know, except there's some regulation that comes in about hunt, killing them with a deer slug mm-hmm. at some point, except for... I don't think... I think that may be the only thing you can't hunt them with. Yeah. Is a deer slug unless it's during shotgun season. Yes. Coyotes can be hunted 24 hours from 10th of November through midnight on the 15th of March. There you go. Okay. March. March. Okay. Yep. okay. One month later. During yep. the rest of the time, it's it's half hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sunset to sunrise. Closed during shotgun deer season. Uh, there's some restrictions in there mm-hmm. you can look up, but uh, just hunting license and uh I think that's it. If, I don't even know if you have to have a habitat stamp. Hunters need a hunting license and habitat stamp. There you is, go. Uh, okay, you have uh, to have a habitat stamp. Uh, unless exempt. So that, yeah. you know, basically just your hunting license and your stamp. Yep. And follow the rules and you're good to go. Like I said, you, I'm pretty sure you can shoot them with anything from a 22 250 to a 50 cal if you got, yeah. got the money in the rounds. Hey, that would be cool. <laughs> you guy could do it. Whack and stack. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and anymore. Ain't much stacking with a 50 cal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anymore you don't need the pelt anyway they aren't worth a whole lot yep but we're we're gonna get in a little bit to the reason why uh it's still worth it to kill them but oh yeah the pelts aren't worth 
anything no. anymore. The market for that's gone. Yeah. Um, along with pretty much everything else, fur bearer wise. Which I think is a lot of reason there's coyotes the way they are. Oh, yeah. Nobody I, runs. I mean, not that nobody. And, that and I think when they changed the rules on the dogs mm-hmm. uh, a few years back, uh, that that kept a lot of guys from running dogs. Yep. Which all your coyote hunters run used to run dogs. Yep. I mean, a lot of people around used to run dogs. Nowadays, there's not hardly anybody. Mm-mm. Which uh, is, in my mind, partially good because a lot of guys weren't real honest about it. Um, but it's bad too because, like I said, the coyote numbers are pretty crazy around mm-hmm. here. And that that was an an old and traditional way of hunting mm-hmm. that seems to be completely fallen away. Yeah, which is kind of sad because it's it is. definitely yeah. a fun way to hunt. Yeah. And like you said, there's a lot of tradition behind it and all that. Yeah. I mean, there's still a few guys that run them, and I think there's probably more guys that run coon dogs now than coyote hounds, but I think there are probably still a few guys around here. I don't know about the rest of the country, how popular it is in places. I'm pretty sure it's Virginia. You can run dogs for deer even, so they still do a lot of it out there, mm-hmm. um, out east, but... As far as around here, there's not as much, near as much of it that goes on as used to. Um, but you can still get out there and kill a few of them. And if you can kill three or four, you know, that's maybe a few fawns you'd oh, say yeah. out of your oh, deer yeah. herd. Back in the day, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you just hook up and go. There was yeah. always a group of guys that were going. They had the radios on and yeah. the CBs going. And, yeah. you know, they had a square mile blocked off and the dog and hounds yep. were just, I was running coyotes. And, and everybody had some kind of funny name. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why I was hoping to have Jeff on, because I know he used to do a lot of that, and he's been getting back into doing some night hunting with a couple guys he knows, doing some coyote hunting that way with the thermals and the night vision stuff, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it'd be a really fun way to do it. Yep. I would like to get some kind of setup for my 243 like that, where I could shoot them with. That's what I bought the gun for, but um, which is probably the most effective way to do it, too. Well, I mean, you can even get, uh, they make pretty good red and green lights, mm-hmm. scope mounted lights too. Yeah. I've got one of them. Yeah. Have you used it? Oh yeah. We dogs? went, we went good? like crazy. Uh, never seen a coyote. Really? It is awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am no good at it. Right. I have no good information about any of this, but yeah. kill all the coyotes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, Colin seems to be the way to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, not a lot of guys running dogs, but get out there and they'll do a lot of calling at night. Yeah. I have heard for our area, if you guys are out there doing it, um, first of all, pay attention to what's around you. Um, Fry was telling me the last time they went, they were running a rabbit call and they said just nothing. They run the locator. So they run the yeah. the coyote call first to see where they're at. And they said they'd run a, ra- a rabbit in distress and just nothing would happen. So Jeff said to the guy, he said, Hey, look out there in your scope. How many rabbits you see out here? I said, well, not very many. He said, how many mice you see? He said, you can see mice crawling across the field like bugs out yeah. there. He said, well, man, I hadn't th- really thought about that. So mm-hmm. maybe we switch it over to the mouse. Yeah. You know? And he said, that's when they finally had some dogs working. Yeah. So pay attention to what's kind of in your area. <laughs> Coyotes have never seen a rabbit around there. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so I had a guy tell me, uh, like I said, we were awful at this when we tried doing this, I don't know, six or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. We thought we were having a lot of fun. Um, but, oh, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we, we made like 80 sets that one year. Wow. Uh, me and a couple other guys. I mean, wow. We, we tried hard. Uh, we're not near as smart as a coyote. Not nearly. <laughs> uh, but I had one guy tell me, and it almost made sense. He said, if you're very close to a house that's got chickens at all, mm-hmm. he said, try to make some kind of chicken noise. Yeah. He said, if you got a chicken coop, he said, if you got a thicket anywhere close to a house, mm-hmm. he said, you're liable to be able to get one to come out there and check it out. Yeah. Uh, and maybe blast him with a shotgun close range, you know. That would make sense. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that like you said, you know, you ain't seeing rabbits, but you're seeing mice. If there's a coyote that's around a place that he knows there's chickens, you know, yeah. uh, do something that somebody sense. else ain't doing. Exactly. Um, the, I also had someone else tell me that, the majority of luck they've had this year um, and in years past is just pups and yeah. regular coyotes because his theory is there's enough food around for them that they're not going to necessarily come into something that would be in distress that they would eat. Yeah. Um, in my mind, that's probably partially true depending on the area you're in, but also they have an instinct that if there's basically free food, I think they're probably going to come after it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like... Well, gee, I'm not hungry. I just ate. 
Yeah. I think their instinct probably kicks in. They come to it. But it's got to be the right call, too. Yeah. I think. So, you think you think they're very pressured? They're, I know it, it's really gaining popularity. Yeah. I, I think it depends on where you're at. Yeah. I mean, I know there's areas where, well, like probably up around you. Yeah. A lot of it goes on. Yeah. In certain pockets. Yeah. Um, down here, it's hit or miss. Yeah. You know, there's places where they don't get bothered at all, I think. Yeah. And I mean, then, some nights I can go out on the out on the porch it's happened before i just sit out there or something you know look at the stars or if i'm heading out to the wood stove or something mm-hmm. uh doggone i can hear a rabbit squalling you right know? i mean somebody ain't too far and they're trying you know yep or they got a call that's just incredibly loud yeah <laughs> but, yeah but anyway and that's the same way i do a lot of duck hunting and you'll get those birds that have been around and they got a lot of pressure man they won't come to calling nah. they know yeah they figured it out and it's not like, you know, they have this cognitive ability to figure out that that's a hunter down there calling. But they know that sound and they know it means danger. Yeah. I think the coyotes are probably the same way. They figured out that this certain call or whatever, um, like you said, maybe do something different. Because yep. they know yeah. uh, what's natural and what's not for the I, most part. I don't claim to be too smart, but if I'm heading for a buffet line and then I start getting shot at, <laughs> exactly. I'm probably going to think about that before I just run right <laughs> Yeah, the next time you it. go to a buffet line, you might step back just a hair, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. See what happens you might to come the guy at in it. front of me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. You might come at it from the downwind side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, doing something different could definitely be, you know, a key. And yeah. then, like you was talking before, make sure you're actually uh, using what's in the area. Yeah. Not just some random thing you don't use some jackrabbit call yeah there's not any jackrabbits around um but that said i'll jump into the article here a little bit <clears throat> he says coyotes and feral hogs have both spread across whitetail country crushing habitat damage along with predation effects on deer populations coyotes once a predator of the open prairies and west transitioned easterly with the opening of forest and agricultural undertakings Hogs arrived on our shores from shipments believed to date as far back as Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto's arrival. It is estimated feral hogs annually contribute more than 800 million in damage to agriculture on habitat by a population of approximately 4 million feral hogs. So, $800 million in damage um, from 4 million hogs. Which I'm thinking is, if I'm hunting and I'm not hunting a hog lot, if I see a hog, it's feral. That's just what I'm thinking. <laughs> yep. That's a great well, they gotta, process. They got to start somewhere. I mean, they become feral after a while. Yep. If a hog gets out of a pen, and or let's just say a sow gets out of her feral house or whatever, yeah, uh, if she's in or she's had it, mm-hmm. that, that's how that stuff starts around yeah. here. And yeah. then uh, at what? where do you draw the line of, okay, she's a... Uh, what are you going to call it? Tame hog, a feeder pig, or something. As versus the, now she's a feral pig. You well, know? is like it I her said, or is I, it her? If I'm not hunting a hog lot, right? And they ain't no hog lots within a half a mile reasonable of me, distance. Yeah, I'm thinking you know could be pork chops for supper. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> yep. what I'm thinking. Yeah. If and, I ain't in the fence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. If the arrow don't go through the bob wire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a uh, close there's a ton of people that complain about like uh down in texas they do it's a whole industry of uh like the helicopter hunting oh man for hogs and stuff uh, people hate that yeah uh, they go back and pick them up and all that but there is so much that 800 million dollars in damage yeah um to me that makes it totally fair game mm-hmm. you want to kill them however you want to kill them oh, whatever yeah. you don't want well you don't want hogs of any kind running nope. loose I've, no nope I've killed my share of them, and you do not want them running loose. Yeah. There will be, it would be a, a devastating for as much agriculture as we have around. Yeah. Because a lot of the places that they're at, uh, that number, that 800 million, would be exponentially more if they oh, had yeah. as many crops as we have around here. Oh, yeah. Because if you think about it, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, all those states down south, um, they don't have the big sprawling acres of agriculture like we have in most places where those uh-huh. hogs are at. So they're doing that much damage um, on limited crops. Now, they're doing it to, uh, you know, pastures and hay fields and stuff like that, too. But the amount of money that comes from agriculture here as compared to the places where those hogs already are, that number would be uh, exponentially higher in my mind if we had a hog problem around here. Oh, you take that that 200 acres you're, you're taking care of out there in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the damage that we see, I don't know the dollar value of that. It's not tremendous, but certainly there's damage there. Mm-hmm. You you turn that into a, a cornfield that's producing, you know, 200 bushel corn or 180 bushel corn. Oh, yeah. That's unreal. Yep. I mean, versus the ground that's out there that's full of rocks and, yeah. and, and you might get some pasture ground off of it. You know, there's yep. damage there, but the value is not nearly what it would be and, here. An acre turned over in a food plot that cost hundreds of dollars. Take that, an acre turned over in a, like you said, a 200 bushel cornfield. Now you're talking serious money. And then that's just because that's an acre. The particular plot I'm thinking of, about half of it was tore up it's a two acre plot that's all that's open up there they're not going to stop at an acre if they're in a hundred or if they're in an 80 hundred acre open field i'm they're going to do some serious damage out now what's going to stop them i mean what stops them up there is the tree line that's just all the open ground they have to turn over you know so <clears throat> stick them out there in the middle of a 160 acre piece with all crops boy it, it could get pricey in a hurry oh yeah um so he he goes on he talks a little bit more about now the damage of the coyotes. He said the spread of coyotes is harder to track along with damage estimates, but as more research is documented, coyotes are clearly becoming a detriment to whitetail herds nationwide. Studies from, not to mention rabbits, quail, uh, squirrels, any kind of small game. Um, he goes on, he says, studies from the U.S. Forest Service Southern Research Station at the Savannah River site in South Carolina reveal that coyotes were responsible for 80% of approximately 70% total fawn mortality at this site. So, of the 70% of fawns that didn't make it, 80% of that number was from coyotes. Hmm. Which is just a stupid high number. It is. That's unreal. And I would say, uh, maybe we don't experience quite that high a number, but of all the fawns that die around here, we don't have real harsh winters. We don't have big cats. Um, we do have bobcats. We have bobcats, which are starting to become a problem. That's a whole other issue. Some that, guys would argue we have bigger cats, but <laughs> right. we do have bobcats. Not in a big enough number to make that much damage, in my mind. True. Um, I'll give you that. So the main predator in our area, the biggest predator to the whitetails is the coyotes. So they're going to be responsible for a, maybe it is close to that percentage of uh, fawn mortality. Cause like so I they're said, saying 70% of fawns? In died. this in this area, in that study, yeah, man, the seventy percent of the fawns that died, yeah, right, yeah, eighty percent of eighty percent of those, yes, were yeah. from coyotes. Yeah, seven yeah. out of ten fawns died, but eighty percent of those that died mm-hmm. was from the coyotes. Yep, man, yeah, pretty wild. I didn't think the mortality rate was that high on fawns, and I don't I know where this uh, study is and what you know other predation they have in that area. Yeah. Um, but in this particular study, that was the those were the numbers yeah. that he quotes there. I had found a coyote den one time out messing around, uh, and there was uh, two or three uh, fawn carcasses. Did you rig it up it. with claymore so when they came back, it? I should have. But <laughs> yeah. doggone, it was it was about five yards from one of my tree stands on a creek bank. Really, they had dug it in the creek bank. It was pretty neat the way they had done yeah. that. It wouldn't have worked when it rained very much. I don't right. know what they did. Right. I guess they could hold their breath for a long time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they had dug, uh, drug some fawn carcasses up in there. They was legs laying around. You could see mm-hmm. a couple carcasses up in there, um, not looking too hard. And I wasn't wanting to look too hard. I yeah, no telling. There'd been a couple of them come out of there and chew on me instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yeah. had been awful hungry. Yeah, they would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might taste like that pork chop. Well, you <laughs> Maybe to a coyote. Yep. But yeah, that's uh, that's one of the only coyote dens I've ever run across, and it's really being used heavy. Yeah. You know? So uh, we talked about the the furs and the pelts not being worth much. If you're a deer hunter, there's your value in killing the coyotes right oh, there. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. If you can, because a lot of guys aren't going out there and killing twenty coyotes a year. Even if you can knock out a couple, three, four, five of them, maybe one of them, two of them happen to be females. You know, you're gonna save. At least a few fawns. Oh, yeah. You know, you're probably oh, yeah. going to see a difference over a few years. Yep. Uh, I have heard kind of the same thing we talked about a while back. If you knock out so many of them, then they reproduce more. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I think the more you can kill, the better you're going to be. Um, now, obviously, if you went and just eradicated all of them, you're going to, you know, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They interrupt the balance. Yep, disrupt the, of the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. But if you kill the right number of them, because there's kind of a bad balance of it now that there's too many of them, mm-hmm. so we can go in and help that problem. Yeah. But if you're a deer hunter, especially now, um, all the way up till that March 15th date, you're not hunting deer anyway. Um, even if you are still hunting them now, get in there at night and go in and kill some coyotes if you've got the means to do it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We've done some calling and just spotlighting, um, which is a pretty poor way to do it because you only get one shot after they see that spotlight. They're all, the rest of them are all gone. Yeah. yeah. But uh, even just doing that, calling them, hearing them come in and, and trying to shoot a couple of them, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And you're saving, think about how many deer you're saving by yep. doing that. Uh, especially all the guys that talk about not wanting to shoot does this time of year because they're worried about their fawn numbers. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that but not killing any coyotes, you may as well just go ahead and kill the doe. Yeah. In my opinion. That's true. Um, uh, if they're getting that many of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, and I would say, like I said, with all the other factors that we have around here or lack thereof, the the coyotes probably account for as much of it as anything, more than anything, I would say. Yeah. Um, you said you talked about the bobcats. I think that's starting to catch up a little bit. Yep. And I think they're putting more hurt on the quail and the turkeys and the I rabbits. I agree. No, yeah. they're definitely hard on turkeys. Yeah. yeah. But the coyotes are doing that too. Mm-hmm. So even if you're a turkey hunter or you want to see more quail around or you want yeah. to see more rabbits, uh, those coyotes are hard on them just yep. like they are deer. And probably harder because they can kill a mature turkey. Mm-hmm. whereas it's going to take several of them to kill a mature buck. Yeah. They're going to go for those fawns and the weaker deer, yeah. not saying they won't kill the bigger deer, because they absolutely do, but it ain't nothing for them to kill a mature turkey or rabbit or quail or anything, you know. So if, if you want to hunt those things, that's just another reason to go after those coyotes. Um, and then even in the springtime, summertime, you can get out there in the morning. If you get a nice morning to go out, you want something to do, you may yeah. get lucky and call one in. Yeah. I'd heard a guy say that if you could ever find a, a den um, in the middle of summer, go out there in the morning or late in the evening with a shotgun and call or squeak a little bit or something, he said that'll be a whole lot of fun just real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those pups and that mother will come out of there, you know, and he said it'd be like the Wild West for just a couple of seconds. <laughs> yep. um, just but, laying waste to them. Yeah, he said it's very effective. I, I yeah, guess I so, so, yeah. Or a 30-round mag on an AR could be yeah. a lot of fun. <clears throat> it'll make the neighbors wonder <laughs> yeah. at the very least yep so um moral of the story is go out and kill some coyotes yes and it's a lot of fun and it's another way to get out hunting because we all love to hunt so i mean don't limit yourself just to deer if you don't have to another way to get out there in the woods and at the same time you can learn about your deer herd while you're out there too because mm-hmm. you know, i mean you're gonna see you can scout while you're out there and if you're hunting those coyotes at night you're gonna be able to see the deer that are out there yep um if there are some out there, you kind of get their patterns, maybe find out where they're feeding at night and stuff. So a lot of benefits to that in my mind. So now we get into another article. This one's by Clint McCoy. And these are in the same magazine we've been working out of, the North American Whitetail on the last couple, the winter edition. Got a lot of good stuff in here if you guys want. And we didn't touch all of that last article, and we're not going to get into all this one. So you guys can check it out. Um, and if you can pick this up somewhere, there's a ton of good information in them. Uh, go read through it, and you can read through the rest of all these articles, some of the stuff we skip over. But this one, like I said, Still Hunting 101 by Clint McCoy. It says, this guide to still hunting can help you tag a late-season buck. So, like we said, uh, it's a good way to hunt for the rest of the year, too. And he talks about some rut hunting in here. But especially this time of year, guys are getting burnt out. You want to try something different. You want to just sharpen your skills at doing something. You want to add another skill to your tool belt. To maybe even use at a different time of the year next year is a heck of a time to get after it uh, get out there and try some stuff if you spook the buck that you were chasing now what have you lost we've got less than 10 days left yep so if you're still wanting to get out there it's a good way to do it and you know it's going to be like five degrees saturday morning or some <laughs> yeah. sunday morning uh it's gonna be a lot easier to stay warm moving through the woods than it is just yeah. sitting up there 20 foot up in the stand getting wind blown on you so you'd have to be tough as a sledgehammer to <laughs> yeah but even on those days when it's 20 degrees you're gonna be warmer moving yep. than you will be sitting still not that you're gonna be moving fast doing this but any kind of movement's gonna help so we'll jump into it and then we'll pause and talk about some stuff he starts off um 
he has a little intro to it that I'm going to skip over and then get into kind of more of the middle of it. He says, when I get to hankering for some action, grow bored with the tree stands sitting, or just need some in-season speed scouting, my go-to method for chasing deer is old school still hunting. He says, I will preface the remainder of this piece with a statement of pure truth. I am by no means a master still hunter. I live on the prairie in southeastern Illinois, far removed from the big timber and rugged country where the method is used much more frequently. So he goes on. uh, He says, I've always thought the term still hunting was a bit of a misnomer because you're on foot and you're moving very slowly. Still hunting is the simplest form of active pursuit there is, a process by which one literally creeps through the whitetail's habitat on foot as slowly and methodically as possible. The goal is quite simple. Use all your senses to see, hear, and sometimes even smell the whitetail before they return the favor. But that's only the first part of still hunting. this still hunting equation. For the hard part is pulling off the shot at eye level. He says, for my taste, still hunting lends itself to be a fantastic method for a deer hunter with a firearm tag in his pocket. But given proper conditions, an archer can also use the still hunt. So he's, he'll get into this uh, kind of the elements and conditions of that, um, what can make it what can help make you successful as far as the conditions. But before we jump into that part, you kind of still hunted your buck this year oh, with man. the shotgun. Well, yeah. by accident, but you were at yeah. least smart enough walking in. Yeah. And he tells a story later. I'm not going to get into it. I'll kind of go gloss over it. Really similar to what happened with your buck. Yeah. Now, he was he was actually going in still hunting mm-hmm. and had it happen to him the way yours kind of did. Yeah. Whereas you were going to a stand. Yeah. But the way you did it was kind of similar. Yeah. Um, apart from that, uh, how much kind of still hunting have you done? I know you've done a little bit. Some. Um, um, if it's real windy mm-hmm. uh, and I'm wanting to be out there, if, especially if it's in the rut. Of course, I, I'm talking the rut. I've never still hunted this time of year. Right. I ain't near tough enough. I'd already give up. I was on to other things. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the rut, um, I've done some still hunting. Uh, there is a half mile long draw up there at home uh, that's got a 90 in it. It runs east and west for the uh, for one quarter mile, north and south for another quarter mile, 30 to 40 yards wide. Um, those bucks will push does up in there, and the bucks just live in there too. Mm-hmm. They know you can't mess with them in there. If you can get in there and there's a creek, um, I like to get in the creek in there. Uh, and my brother taught me this. I owe it all to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he did He did the brain work, you know, <laughs> figuring out how to do it in there. Get in the creek, stay in the creek, um, pop up every 10 to 20 yards, you know, where every, every good approach you've mm-hmm. got to get out of the creek. Uh, that's how we would go through there. <clears throat> Always keep the wind in your face. Uh, or a good crosswind, a solid crosswind, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but that works great up there because you've got two different ways to come in. You've got access on the southwest or the northeast mm-hmm. because of that 90. Uh, stay low. Uh, stay toward the thick stuff. If you got to get out of the creek, there's some log jams. you got to get out. Stay toward the thick stuff and creep. You cannot mm-hmm. be in a hurry, right. you know. But if it's windy, they're already concentrating uh, uh, sound ain't sound ain't an issue, right? You know, if it's windy, they already they already got sound overload. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you got to beat his nose, you got to beat his eyes, and even some movement overload when the wind's blowing that too. too. I mean, they're that looking too. at everything moving, yep. so you might get away with a little bit more if you're slow. If <laughs> yep. you're slow, I think it's okay. I've I've still hunted a little bit in not this late in the year, but uh, standing cornfields. Yeah. Uh, now, if you're food plotting and your food plot is corn. And you've left it standing. Hey, uh, there's a little bit of wind. Those corn that corn makes a lot of noise oh, when yeah. the wind blows, yeah. and everything's moving. So you walk across, you know, real slow walk from one row. You look up and down the rows, and you bend down, and you look, and you mm-hmm. stay, and you, and then you go to the next row. It can take you a a good hunt, a good time hunt to to walk just a few rows. You're moving, so you're not cold. You're looking, uh, so it's interesting. Things are moving. You're you're trying to make your senses, you mm-hmm. know, keen. Yeah, and and it's kind of neat. Uh, and so obviously, there's not a lot of standing corn uh, mm-hmm. in in fields right now. But if you're food plotting and you've left some standing corn, hey, it, it could be fun. To, even this time of year, you go out there and just still hunt your corn if you got uh, half an acre or what or whatever you've got acre of corn. 
you know, just go hunt across those rows. Yep. I think even if you've got uh, just a regular food plot, you can use that as a destination. So maybe the wind's not right to sit in the stand. You want to hunt that food plot. And I'm not saying I'd recommend this for the rest of the year where you might blow something out and screw it all up. But this time of year, if your wind's not right to come in the direction you normally would, but you can get to the backside of it, you could use that food plot as a destination where you're going and still hunt your way to that food plot where those deer might be moving into it earlier in the day. So you may catch them in between where you're at in the food plot. Um, you may end up getting all the way to the plot before you find the deer, but kind of still hunt your way to that. Once you get to it, if there's no deer, still hunt your way back out of it. Um, so I think there's... And again, you haven't hurt nothing. Exactly. Yeah. You're not, especially like this time of year, this last 10 days, you're really not going to hurt yourself too bad. Oh, yeah. By the time, if you spook a big buck out of there, by the time you get back in there again, he's long forgot about it. Or at least he's not as concerned about it as he was. Yeah. And the next oh, year, yeah. you know. Yep. So... The, the risk versus reward is yes. pretty high right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You can take a lot of those risks and yeah. and your potential to hurt yourself really low, your potential yep. for rewards really high. So, yep. yeah. And and as tough as it is to kill a big buck this time of year, I think you got probably as good a chance as any. Especially, yeah, especially if you know he's there. Yeah. If you know he's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he'll get into partially what you were talking about there with the proper conditions. Um he says, in order to up your odds still of still hunting success, you need to have the proper conditions. In my opinion, a calm, sunny, and dry day is just terrible for the task. I want damp conditions to allow for quiet footfall in the timber on a calm day. Also, dry leaf litter underfoot is less apt to spook game if the wind is up and covering your sound signature. Noise mitigation is paramount to the still hunter. On sunny days, keeping the sun at your back and slowly working through the shadows is a fine way to get the drop on a bed of deer, but cloudy days seem to make for better overall visibility. Keep in mind that shadows can help hide the human form, but they can also hide the whitetail just as easily. Rain and snow can make for some excellent conditions to still hunt. However, if the ground is too wet and muddy, it can throw off your balance and make you for a noisy boot slurping through the muck. Falling snow is my absolute favorite helper. While I'm wearing some white snow camo and easing through the whitetail habitat on foot, the fresh powder helps to dampen one's noise signature and up the odds of catching a buck on its feet the terrain and undergrowth also need to be considered when attempting to still hunt too many snags make for difficulty and slow navigation where minimal movement is desired terrain that is a pancake flat that is pancake flat sounds advantageous but it's not nor is extremely sharp terrain flat ground gives the game advantage of seeing you way before you see them and aggressive contours take your mind off the task of spotting game and you become consumed with not slipping and falling. Gentle rolling timber or hill country is a still hunter's best ally. Terrain should be diverse enough to allow for camouflaging hunter movement, but not so sharp it is extremely hard to traverse. He also goes on, he says, being in sound physical condition with a strong core, legs, and feet is a good idea. Um, He says on a still hunt, you must... Uh, he gets the mental side of it too. He says, on a still hunt, you must try and remain focused and adaptable. If your mind is on work, bills, your phone, or other distractions beyond the woods, you will fail in this endeavor. If you have a slow foot and a calm mind, you can shoot any deer in North America on a still hunt given the proper conditions. So some of the stuff you hit on, a lot of those conditions he's talking about uh, now is one of the best times of year. We get, you know, those windy, wet damn mm-hmm. days now as much as we do the rest of the year cloudy oh yeah uh, so we got a lot of those conditions happening on a lot of days this time of year so your chance of having the right conditions i think are probably up from yep. say even early november or october yeah in those days um, and then he goes on he says the the better in shape you can be because man you get to walking in there and trying to be quiet it can be work oh yeah you know uh, walking through the woods and trying to be real quiet, slow stepping and easing your way through. And then well, like the mental thing too, if you're not focused on finding those deer with your eyes yep. and you get distracted and you're thinking about something else, you just start to kind of walk through the woods instead of yeah, easing through there. You're going to screw everything up. Yeah. I mean, you're going to blow them out. They're going to see you or hear you before you get there. So you got to be focused too. Yep. Which to me is, you know, part of the reason I like hunting anyway, because I can forget about all that other stuff. So yeah. it helps with that. But um, I, uh, I have got fairly close to a couple of deer, uh, a few deer still hunting before. Um, one morning is very windy, uh, cold, 
windy, and it had rained that night before. The front was just pushing through uh, mid-November, so I wanted to be out there bad. I was doing, the, I was in that draw. I was talking about. I was slipping up that creek, and I popped up, and I could see a deer's tail. I knew it was a deer's tail. It was a bedded deer. I couldn't tell what it was. There was too much between me and it, but it's uh, within 30 yards, you know. Um, and I was looking glass, and I was trying to pick out anything else. Finally, I saw an ear twitch. Ah, there's another one, you know. Um, there ended up being two does and two fawns right there. Um, and I'd got real close to them. You know, mm-hmm. I was within range. Then I was trying to figure out what to do with them because my only option was either, you know, move forward and probably bust them. Right. Um, even though I was going to be in the creek or just back out and say, you know, ah, uh, nice buck was not the first thing I came to. So that's, that's all it was, you know. Right. Or wait on them to leave. Uh, yeah. Then another time I was going through there, picking my way through gun hunting. And mm-hmm. uh, I popped up and there's a button buck laying on the ground. Uh, 15 yards away from me. I mean, I just barely got my head out of the creek, you know. Mm-hmm. The look of sheer terror on his face. He just <laughs> stared. I mean, we locked eyes just instantly. We just looked at each other for, I mean, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It felt like 10 minutes. It was probably two or three. Yeah. He finally couldn't take it anymore, and he jumped up. Gosh, it was like six or eight deer right there. They jumped up, and they just running around. They didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they all knew, ah, the button buck just freaked out. But yeah, we don't know why. Why should we trust him? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. He does that all the time. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but I have got just pretty close to a few different deer before doing that, and it, it's a thrill. Oh, yeah. Just that button buck, you know, mm-hmm. just him. Ah, oh, that it got my heart racing. Being that close on the ground is a whole yeah. different ball game than yeah. even them standing underneath you in a stand. Yeah, I mean, everything was going okay for him. <laughs> And all of a sudden, my ugly head just pops up out of a ditch. <laughs> yeah. you know? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's thinking, well, wait, it's over. Yeah. Wait a minute. This has never happened before. <laughs> yeah. This is not natural. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think the easiest mistake to make is, is speed. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. You're getting impatient. It's, it's just so easy to take that next step. Yep. And 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 not look and, and listen yeah. and, and look again and listen again. Before you take the next step. Yep. No matter what you're in a corn, if you're in a creek, if you're in a wherever you're at, you know, a patience uh, oh, when yeah. you're still hunting is if you're in a hurry, don't go. Yep. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. I heard a Vietnam guy, this is a SOG guy. If you, if anybody listening knows anything about those guys, they're some wild dudes. They fought the secret war up in Cambodia and Laos and all that. They were uh, special forces guys. He said when they used to move through the jungle, they would, it was 10 and 10, move for 10, rest for 10. That way it kind of, there was a cadence there and they broke up their movements because if you move for too long, you made it, they took a chance of them hearing you moving or seeing you moving. If you sat too long, you took a chance of them ambushing you, finding where you're at, coming up on you. So they move for 10 minutes, stay for 10 minutes. So when I'm doing this kind of hunting, that always pops up in my mind. And even when I'm walking, when I'm walking into the stand, I think, okay, 10 and 10. I'll move for 10 seconds. I'll stop for 10 seconds. When I'm still hunting, though, I think it you could almost take that to, I'm going to move for 10 seconds, and then I'm going to stop for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and do you some could. looking. Okay, I've, I've looked. Now I'm going to move for 10 seconds. Yep. I pick a point. I'm going to move to that point. doesn't have to be a time thing. Yep. I'm going to get to this tree because it provides me good concealment. Yeah. I'm going to look for 10 minutes. I'm going to pick another spot and move to it. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to keep yourself from going too fast. Yeah. And then- yeah. Yeah. And your movement, you got to be careful when you're going to that point, not to try, if you're doing the time thing, not to try to cover too much ground in the 10 seconds mm-hmm. or not to try to get to that next point too fast. Yeah. Yeah. You got to make slow, methodical movements through there Yeah, when you're doing it. That just reminded me that, uh, that draw I was talking about it used to be CRP, uh, all the way around the inside of the 90. Um, and back when I used to, uh, I used to walk through it back then. I would try to pick, like you're saying, pick a point I wanted to get to, mm-hmm. and I'd camp out there for a while um, and look, and I'd try to make those points somewhere where I knew I had a reasonable chance getting my bow drawn, right. uh, you know, where I thought they might be, where if I was stuck there for any amount of time, hopefully it'd be a decent spot to, to be stuck, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'd had them, I'd seen them, seen deer moving toward me in there, uh, I'd had a spike come. Um, incredibly close to me mm-hmm. um just a couple of yards away because i got hit behind a big tree right he popped out on the other side and he had about the same reactions that button buck i talked <laughs> yeah. about you know yep. uh, what the yeah. hell yeah <laughs> yep. if you can find a good if you can pick a point you know not get there fast but 
try to stop in smart spots mm-hmm. when you stop. Um, a couple things, like I think I mentioned it even last time too, but when I was hunting mule deer or and coos deer out in Arizona, you do a lot of that. Um, you can do some spotting stock in the southern part of this zone I was hunting, and then but the northern part is kind of this rolling timber with the big cedars and the big, you know, all those big trees. So, but it's pretty open underneath, so you kind of still hunt your way through it. So, and then there's a, a place that I hunt around here where it's pretty open, mature timber. There's not a lot of undergrowth because it's shaded out. Um, but there are some more, not quite as mature trees, uh, but it's all hardwoods. So you'll have maybe five little trees for every two big trees. So you'll pick the big tree and I'm hiding behind it because I've got some concealment. And then, okay, I'll find the next biggest tree that's close where I have a reasonable uh, route to it that's undis- you know, unobstructed. <clears throat> and in that case, in that particular woods, I knew where the buck was bedding that I was going in there after. I didn't know exactly how big he was, if he was a shooter or not. Ended up seeing him, but um, in this case, he caught me between the two big trees because he just happened to look. I would saw him, but there was almost no good way to get to where I needed to be, so I kind of mm-hmm. took a chance. He saw me busted out of there, but I was going, okay, this big tree, I'm going to ease my way up to it, and I'm going to stop and look. Okay, there's another pretty good-sized tree that I can hide behind, and like you said, I have enough room to draw my bow if he does come by, and... I got, like you were talking about, while I was doing that, I had a button buck coming at me. And I happened to see him walking before he saw me, and I got tucked up behind one of those trees and just didn't move. And, man, he did a circle around me at probably 10 yards, oh, just yeah. kind of looking. Because he didn't see me until I got around to the backside yeah. of it. And then he saw me, and he was just kind of looking, didn't really know what was what was going on, and just walked a nice little half circle around me. And finally, he got downwind of me and decided that the weird shape and the weird smell was enough. He was leaving. But uh, the same way out in Arizona doing that, uh, there were a couple spike elk. And obviously, I didn't have an elk tag, but I thought, I'll see how close I can get to these things. So I'm going from tree to tree and got within 50 yards of them, you know, before they knew anything was going on. Yeah. Um, It's just a a cool way to hunt. But that's the way to do it, I think. Uh, You go slow and go from relative concealment to concealment, you know, and then be easy on the way there. So... And that concealment being, like you talked about, enough that they're not going to see you standing there. And it also is enough that you can get away with some movement. Because mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're bow hunting, you're going to have to draw your bow. Yep. And that's why he said uh, before, it's more advantageous to the gun hunter because all you got to do is pull the gun up, click off the safety. Oh, yeah. And you're good to go. Yeah. But you definitely can have success archery hunting. Well, you, can, you can learn a lot about yourself. You can learn a lot about the deer when you're doing that as well. If you're watching what they're doing. And watching what you're doing, okay, I can't get away with this. Or, mm-hmm. or yeah, I can get away with this. Mm-hmm. Or, this is where I need to be. This is what I have to do. This yeah. is, I mean, there's a lot of things to learn, even if you're busted. Yeah. Like you said, even if you're busted, okay, why did I get busted? When did I get busted? And how did I get busted? Mm-hmm. Use that to your advantage the next time. Yeah. And now's the time to do that, like I've been saying, because – you can do that now, especially if you're new to this still hunting thing. You can learn so much about it now on this little short window, and then it's it's fun. It, yeah. it, it is a yep. fun way to hunt, yep. Yep. Uh, especially when it's cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's a good way to learn. Yep, cover some ground, do some scouting, see what kind of deer's out there. There are a lot of things to do yep. besides just sitting in a tree stand, uh, wishing you had some pocket warmers on. Right. You know. Yep. So now he gets into uh, the best gear setup for still hunting in his opinion he says a minimal a minimalist approach to still hunting is usually a good idea when choosing essential gear he goes on here he says ultimately still hunting gear needs to be simple functional easy to access and silent he kind of goes over some of his gear that he uses um the types of camouflage and all that um you can get away with pretty much what the camouflage you're running um he likes low power scopes or iron sights when he's doing it, if he's on a gun. And then a bow, if you got a short bow that you can hunt, obviously that makes it easier. Um, I would go, when I do it, I take my backpack, my bow, and binoculars. And that's pretty much it. That way, if I do want to stop and set up because of something I've seen or I've got to the spot I was wanting to kind of end at and I still have time, I can set up. And maybe do some rattling if it's in the rut, 
you know, uh, this time of year, maybe I set up, I've got some hand warmers or something in the pack, anything. I got my backpack on. It doesn't take up a lot of space. It's not a great big, uh, overnight pack or a, like a big day pack, mm-hmm. but just a small pack enough to fit the essentials in binoculars slowing over. Cause I think those are invaluable when you're still hunting oh, is yeah, to have your binoculars sure. close have, and then my yeah. bow with the quiver on it. And he yeah. talks about having a detachable quiver, which is what I like to run for anything anyway. Yeah. So I think that's a good, good thing to have too. That would be my personally, my setup. Uh, what yeah. kind of stuff, what are you running when you're say walking that ditch? Uh, Pretty minimal. and my loincloth. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> okay, Ted. Maybe a feather, maybe a feather in my hair. Yeah. Right, you got your right. long bow and your wooden arrows. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Don't I, forget uh, that hot woman back at the house there, Ted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I uh, uh, I try to get... Uh, that oh, would be pretty minimal. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the for moccasins sure. or the back <laughs> yeah. at the house? Thing? Well, whatever. <laughs> um, I got uh, some camo that's incredibly warm, uh, mm-hmm. but it's... Uh, oh, uh, it, it accumulates... Uh, those stick tights yeah, just something yeah. fierce <laughs> i try to think about what i'm wearing in it but if it's freezing cold you know what i mean wear what you need to wear but you're going to be moving some mm-hmm. you know so i try not to i certainly don't want to overdress right. when i i'd rather be cold and kind of mad at myself when i'm still hunting mm-hmm. uh, so i try not to wear too much um i take my grunt call and my wind puffer mm-hmm. uh out of my backpack and i have them in my pockets mm-hmm. uh, i got a binocular harness uh, so they're sucked close to my chest there. Um, I normally don't take my rangefinder because uh, anywhere I'm going to still hunt, it's going to be just pretty close. Right. If, it, if it happens at all, if it gets where I can get a shot, mm-hmm. they're going to be real close. Yeah. Um, but grunt call and wind puffer uh, just to know if I got any kind of wind swirl. Yeah. Um, probably not much I can do about it, you know. But at least I know. Yeah. Um, you might be able to change something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I minimalist. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you're trying to drag too much stuff with you, it just cause problems. I think for me, uh, I pay more attention to the outer layer. Is there snow on? Is there not? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do I need to have a little white in with whatever I'm wearing? And 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 I pay attention to my feet. Am I going to be still hunting where there's a little water? Do I, do I need to have my rubbers on? Do I need to have my other hunting boots on? That got to, that kind of thing makes a difference. Am I hunting a cornfield or am I hunting a swamp ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on what I wear there. Yep. For me, that's what I pay more of attention to. Yeah. And then on the clothes, I think if you can wear a, cl- a quieter, yeah. you know, yeah. something, a quieter outer shell as opposed to something that's going to make a lot of noise when you move. Yep. Um, but at the same time, it's not going to get snagged on everything. Yeah. So like, uh, a fleece would be really good for quiet, but it might get snagged a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, just a typical cotton blended shirt uh, or like a synthetic even, you know, something like that. That's not going to snag a whole bunch, but it's not going to make a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, the other thing on boots, I did remember reading in there, he talked about, um, like you said, if it's wet, go ahead and wear the rubber boots. But if it's not, he would really rather run the lace-ups. Yeah. Uh, they're just quieter yeah. and a little more nimble as far as walking around you know so they're a little bit more like a tennis shoe than yeah. a rubber boot would be which i tend to agree with i think uh, i know just from walking in heck those rubber boots hitting against each other and mm-hmm. a lot more chance of making noise i think with those than their lace-up boots so and generally your lace-ups are going to be warmer they do make some pretty good insulated rubber boots but lace-ups are going to be a little bit easier if you're running a little rougher terrain you're not likely to twist your ankle as much as you are in rubbers or something yeah, it just depends on where you're at yep for me don't worry too much about noise because I'm not going to still hunt unless the wind's blowing anyway. That's just me. Oh, yeah. And so the the leaves or the corn or whatever's got to be making noise or I ain't going because I sound like the, you know, Fifth Army going in there anyway. So, yeah. he, he talked about stumbling and losing your balance or something. Mm-hmm. Common occurrence every time I'm out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm yeah. planning for that to happen. Yeah. Yep. Sound like the big red run, the big red one <laughs> yeah. going through Germany. So it doesn't really matter what my clothes are. Yeah. Right. Um, so he, he goes into, after the gear, uh, finally he kind of wraps it up. He talks about some techniques. So I'll read through a little bit of this. Whenever possible, the approach should begin with the wind in your face and the sun at your back or off to your shoulder, like you talked about earlier, Nate. I tend to break up my approach in uh, 10 or 20 yard increments, and I slowly creep forward step by step to the next landmark to stop beside, which we also talked about before. So he's 10 to 20 yards, probably pretty good, you know, 
difficult to shoot for, depending on where that cover's at. The process is slow and tedious, and it takes a lot of focus and balance. However, enough practice, you can effectively sneak through the timber. And then he goes on, he says, Spotting bedded whitetails can be immensely tough, and the reason for the snail's pace is to take the time to visualize everything. Looking for an antler tine in the brush or the flicker of a white tail can be a giveaway for a bedded buck's location. You must be as thorough as possible scanning through the terrain and habitat for sign of prey. Use the terrain to your advantage and slowly peek over the next ridge or down in the next bottom. If you can get it, snow helps the still hunter tremendously. It, is, it more easily allows you to cut a big set of buck tracks and stalk their maker, creating a very intense hunting experience. Um, I thought that was a cool thought. So if you are walking through there and you do have some snow on the ground, like we have a little bit now, and you find it just a nice big set of tracks. And if you've been hunting for a while, you know a buck track from a doe track. Uh, if you don't, there's not necessarily a standard for it, but generally, like my pointer finger through my ring finger, those three fingers uh, across the track, or even the fourth one, if I can get those on there, a pretty good sign width-wise. Um, and that's not with them spread out, you know, a pretty good sign width-wise is probably a decently mature deer. People have been using tracks for years to hunt deer and, and decide if they're hunting a big deer or not. So if you can come across something like that in the snow and you can get on them and they seem fresh, you know he's not too far ahead of you, that could be... You know, that adds a whole other element to it, right? You might, it puts that in your mind, focus up a little more because he might be just over that next ridge or just yep. up that creek bank that you're talking about. Yep. And then he finishes up um, with his successes and failures. He says, before everyone reading this figures me as some authority on still hunting whitetails, I assure you I'm not. Though I know how to do it, I fail more than I succeed. No doubt when practicing this ancient method, I spook deer way more often than I kill. But like most things in whitetail hunting, it is the few and far between successes that make up for the struggle. And then he goes on, he talks about a couple times where he's had uh, killed some nice deer. Uh, one of them was a six and a half plus year old buck that he'd killed. Similar to what you, what you killed yours, he was stalking him. Not stalking the deer particularly. Uh, he knew where he was at and he was still hunting his way through his area. And he actually ended up spooking him, but it gave him just enough time to shoot him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a deer he'd missed with a bow the previous year doing the same thing. Yeah. But he came back the next year, huh. uh, still hunted through there, jumped him, gave him just enough time, and he shot him. Yeah. So there's kind of a couple cool stories there that you guys could read if you can find the article. Um, but that was that kind of wraps up the article there, with, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is most things in hunting. You're going to fail way more than you succeed. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you hunt, if you kill your two bucks, you've probably gone in the woods way more times then you have killed deer. Um, you still only have only killed your buck twice, and mm-hmm. you've been hunting who knows how many times. Now, there are those lucky guys that get out there, and they hunt yeah. two times and kill buck both times. But yep. if you hunt long enough, uh, you're going to realize that there's a lot more failure in it there, and there is success, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, That depends on stuff. what your what your idea of failure is. Right. If, if, if killing that big buck's a failure then yeah you're going to fail more than you mm-hmm. just succeed if if going out just because you go out there and you don't kill him doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure right. depending on what your idea of that is especially if you go out there and have a good time or you learn something uh, you take a couple buddies and you go still hunting and you know you're in and out and it, there's there's that's a lot of fun oh, yeah. it really is yep yep, yep. It, it beats sitting in the tree stand freezing your toes yeah. off yeah, yeah. and uh, uh you can do it if you've got uh, if you just have a short window of a day or something where you can go hunt, you can't hunt the whole afternoon or the whole morning or something, and you want to get out there and do it, you've only got maybe an hour. Hey, maybe maybe, your, maybe your your window is from like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, you're probably not going to go sit the stand at 1 o'clock, but you might want to still hunt at 1. Right. You like know, go, maybe you got 1 to 3, you can say, hey, yep. let's go out here. You, you know? might go find them bedded down somewhere or yeah. even up moving early in the woods, you know, something like that. So definitely think that is something you guys ought to try. Like I said, it's a lot of fun. You can have some success doing it. Uh, this time of year, you're not going to mess too much up. And then you can use it in the rut, like Nate, you talked about, liking to do it during the rut. Um, and you can have even up your success then if you got the conditions right and during the rut because everybody knows those bucks are not as alert. You know, they're focused on other things. So you can get away with even more then. Um, I think it's something you guys ought to try. Hopefully, you take something away from that that'll get you out there and Maybe it's something that gets you out there in the woods here the last 10 days of the season. So with that, I think we'll close it. 
Um, hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast still. If you are, go over to Apple Podcast, leave us a review there. Um, you guys can message us ever with any questions you got, anything you want us to cover on the podcast. Uh, you can visit our website for ways to contact us. It's ridgehunteroutdoors.com. Um, if you're going to be, if you want to support us also, if you're going to be frost seed and clover or anything anytime soon, or you're needing any other kind of seed, you can go on there to ridgehunteroutdoors.com. You can find that stuff there and uh, pick that stuff up and you'll be helping us out too. So good quality products, um, good seed. We use it. Uh, a lot of our clients use it. So that's another way you guys can support us. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys again next week. <laughs>